Hello and welcome to the Men Able Matters podcast, brought to you by the Men Able Movement. I'm Steve Whitten, the founder of Men Able, and it's our intention to bring you hints, tips and the inside stories from our fabulous guests to help you to understand mental health and to get the global automotive industry talking about it as an everyday subject. So join us with another fantastic guest here on Men Able Matters. Welcome to another episode of Men Able Matters with me, Steve Whitten. Now, I've got a fabulous guest this time, and this podcast is one of our special celebrations of the 2022 Pride Month. So it gives me absolute pleasure to introduce somebody who I connected with on LinkedIn fairly recently, who's a hypnotherapist, a psychotherapist, and if you're watching this on video, you'll see that he has a very nice rainbow background uh, behind him as well, because he's also a flag waver for the LGBT community. So, Martin Ferber, welcome to Men Able Matters. How are you, sir? Thank you, Stephen. I'm absolutely fantastic. It's great of you to have me on. Thank oh, you. you. No, you're more than welcome. It's brilliant to uh, connect with you. And I, I can't remember how we connected, actually. It was on LinkedIn, wasn't it? And it was, yeah. I, I was somehow. It, yeah, it was. I was looking at the work you do with Men Able, and it caught my eye, and I thought, oh, this guy sounds interesting. Let's connect. I like, I like that, you know, the whole ethos of what Menable is about. Wow. Well, that's brilliant. Well, look, I'll tell you what, in good old fashioned Menable matters fashion then, uh, that's two fashions in one sentence, but you know what I mean? Give <laughs> us uh, a little bit of a rundown and a, a background of who you are, where you're from and what you do. And as I always jokingly say, if you can make that last about 30 minutes, that'd be brilliant. <laughs> okay. Well, as you've already said, my name is Martin Ferber. I'm based in Preston in Lancashire, and for the last few years, I've been a solution-focused hypnotherapist and psychotherapist, and I tend to specialize in um, dealing with Mm -hmm. self-acceptance, because sort of a lot of our um, mental health issues um, are caused by repeated negative thought patterns. Um, Negative thought patterns create anxiety, and a lot of people from any marginalized or discriminated community that um, present with mental health issues all seem to have a common denominator. And that is, uh, it relates to early years, bullying, marginalization, discrimination, uh, where the, the, during times of stress, um, even with people who are sort of getting on with their lives quite, quite happily, um, during times of stress, undue things, you know, whether that be redundancy or even planning for some kind of meeting or something like that, um, the the voice of bullies from early years can become the inner narrative. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when we're stressed out, we can suddenly remember all the names we were called, the situations we were in, that kind of thing. And solution-focused hypnotherapy really is helpful at getting rid of that, detaching the emotions from the memory. Um, you can never get very good at this because you even in that that first few minutes there you've (laughs) you've started me thinking about those teachers that I didn't get on with those (laughs) comments that my mum or dad made and all things that my friends and and family will have said along the way and Mm. um but you mentioned there about self-acceptance being and you and I have talked you know pre-recording and we're going to come onto this in, in quite a big way that you know that for me was was my major issue was self-acceptance 
So, you know, where does that come from, Martin? In, in your experience, the people you speak to, where does that, you know, what, I, I, we're not born not accepting ourselves, are we? Tony? No, not at all. And that, that's the conditioning, I think, because we, we, thrive, we thrive better as a tribe than as individuals. That's the way we're programmed as humans. You can go back to the early days of caveman and woman and all the genders were available. Um, and <laughs> when we did anything that um, helped with the sort of process um, of bettering ourselves, of furthering ourselves, of helping the tribe, whether that was hunting and gathering or reproducing or whatever, we felt good. We felt motivated. Um, so, you know, we are all programmed to function as a tribe, whether that be as a family unit or as friends or whatever, mm. um, or in a sales team, for example. Uh, we all want to be part of that tribe. That's why social exclusion works well as a punishment. That's why social exclusion, you know, being sent to Coventry, let's go back to the days of the unions. Um, yeah. You know, it, it worked as a, as a punishment. Ostracization is a terrible thing. Yeah. And self-acceptance self is wanting to be accepted by everybody, to be part of everything, to be part of that team, to be part of society, to be accepted and to be liked. Uh, you know, it's inbuilt into us. Mm -hmm. So you see a lot of clients then and that, that come to you and, and the crux of the issue is, is self-acceptance, would you say? At, at some point that's, that's been triggered? It, yeah, it could have been triggered, as I say, early years, memories of marginalisation, of bullying, of being picked on, um, can suddenly come to the forefront of the mind again uh, mm -hmm. in times of stress. And unfortunately, anything we concentrate on, we amplify. Right. Um, that's why I like the solution-focused approach, because we, we try and detach memories from past events, try and, try and, sorry, try and detach the emotions from the memories of past events, mm. um, and then concentrate on looking forward, uh, concentrate on where you are now and where you want to be. Yeah. not where you've been nobody comes to therapy to actually change their past they come to therapy to be able to deal with the past um you may come to to therapy to change your future um to, to organize your future better to plan it better and to have a happier future yeah i love that i mean i think when we spoke uh, we had a lengthy conversation on the phone a week or so ago didn't we mm, and, we did um you know that i think that's what you said then was that therapy is not about changing your past it's about accepting your past and and you know projecting you forward into a better future absolutely and, and removing the emotions from those bad memories yeah. i mean if i were to ask you to cash your mind back now to when you were a little nipper running around and oh, maybe the maybe the first <laughs> memory you have of say falling over and grazing your knee yeah uh, at the time that would have been oh it would have been the end of the world the tears would have been flowing um you know somebody would have put a plaster on it for you um and problem solved sort of thing but at that time it would be very emotional um within a few days you would have not forgotten about the incident but there would, wouldn't be any emotion attached to it anymore um and that's probably a good analogy of explaining how 
we do it in therapy to detach yeah. the emotion from the memories. Well, do you know what it is? I mean, this subject fascinates me, as you know, and uh, mm. I'm, a, you know, I'm not at your level by any means, but I'm a, a bit of an armchair psychologist. Um, and, you know, I like to sort of delve deep and look into things and, and find out what's going on. Mm. And, uh, you know, the minute you mentioned that there, my one of my memories was that uh, I remember being bought a bike for my sixth birthday, I think it was, and my mum was heavily pregnant at the time. Mm. And she took me around the streets and it was on stabilizers. And I think one of the stabilizers went off the edge of the curb and off off I went into the road um, and, you know, landed on my side kind of thing. And um, back then it was okay to sort of meter out a fair amount of sort of physical discipline to mm. your children. And uh, and so she did. And, and I was crying my eyes out whilst getting sort of uh, smacked and kicked for, for falling over and, and not getting up. And, you know, and, uh, and to this day, I still can't ride a bike. Really? Yeah. I've never, ever learned to ride a bike. I mean, now I'm at my age, I can't be bothered, but, <laughs> but I've never, ever learned to ride a bike. And that's, you know, how daft is that? Oh, there you go. If you want to, I can help with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I wondered how long that would take. <laughs> I led you into that, Martin, didn't I? But no, that's, did. that's a good example of, I suppose, of, of you know, just how these, uh, you know, that I wouldn't say minor trauma, because I suppose, as you, you rightly say at the time, it was horrendous, but mm. it's, it's still a, a vivid, vivid memory now. It still yeah. really is a vivid memory. Yeah. As, as I say, we concentrate on detaching the emotions from those memories mm. um, and turning them into a narrative memory, basically. Right. Um, as I say, especially when, you know, in terms of bullying, marginalization, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, you touched on something then with schools um, and teachers, et cetera, a few minutes ago. And again, how times have changed. I can remember being at school back in those days um, the teachers would suss out you were gay perhaps before you did mm. and would perhaps pick on you. Well, did pick on me. Um, you could see the sort of their disdain, their disgust. I mean, you've got to remember when I was at school in the 70s, it was only, what, 10, 12 years since um, being gay had been decriminalised. Mm. Um, so, you know, times were very different. I mean, I'm sounding yeah. like a real old fogey now, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> well, what you've done there is you've you've taken us into. I said at the at the start of the show that um, you know this is one of our special men able uh, matters for Pride Month for 2022, mm. and um, that's also how we connected. I think was I made a, a comment or did a uh, an article about what men able are going to be doing to support that, mm. um, and you mentioned there about being gay um yeah. so you came out when you were 15 is that i right? was 15 yes, yes. and i'll just reiterate that for anyone who's listening to the audio version your background um for the video version actually is and you've done this especially to for the for the car audience you've created what looks like a bonnet badge mm. but with the rainbow flag in it yeah got to join in the spirit of the thing <laughs> <laughs> which i'm gonna ask you if i can have i can i'm gonna nick it Absolutely. <laughs> put men able underneath because I think it's brilliant. So absolutely. I'll send uh, it you. Yeah, so sorry. I'm, you, yeah, you, you came out at, at 15. At 15, and... yes. And I was brought up in uh was it a rough what year area? Was that, Martin? If you don't mind me, I don't want to. Uh, 1979. I was born in 64. Right. Okay. All right. So yeah, so as you say, not not long into you know the kind of legal acceptance, but I suppose culturally and societally societally. 
we were still a long way from acceptance, weren't we? Yeah, well, what I couldn't cope with at home, because it was at that age where, you know, parents start, I mean, my dad would be saying to me, you know, have you got a bird yet? That kind of thing. Um, I, oh, just excuse me, someone's just bringing me a coffee. Lovely, thank you. <laughs> got to keep the throat wet. Uh, thanks, Nick. Yeah, I was at that age, uh, as I say, where you're expected to start going out with girls, this, that, and the other. Now, I even at that age then found it difficult to start leading an edited life. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't want to tell lies. I was struggling with self-acceptance. I can remember the summer of 1978, Greece was out at the cinema. Mm -hmm. I can remember going to see it maybe 20 times and each time wishing I was straight like those people in there, but I knew I wasn't. Um, so the following summer, 79, I told my parents, um, because I, I just didn't want to lie to them. Uh, it's not in, you know, I wasn't comfortable to start trying to create a, a different life or an imaginary girlfriend or, God forbid, even worse, you know, go with a girlfriend, knowing full well I was gay, not bisexual. Uh, I knew exactly where my tendencies lay. Um, but I can remember my dad dragging me around to the GPs, you know, fix him. Oh, really? Um, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Well, I was just uh, going to ask, actually, what was your parents' reaction? But... Um, my mother, um, she accepted, I would say, um, tolerated. We'll get back onto that subject in a minute, if we may. Mm. Um, but my dad was very, very anti. I was a big disappointment to him. And the irony of that was he worked in film and television all his life, was surrounded by gay people, didn't have an issue with them. But he was always frightened of me being some item of ridicule. Um, and I can, I can remember my mother saying to me, you know, if, if that's how you are, that's how you are. Um, but then she said to me, but, but you won't go on That's not acceptance, is it? That's, no, that's, that's tolerance. Not, yeah. Um, and I can remember her saying to me, um, oh, just tell me something. You won't go on one of these marches, will you, that I see on television? So, of course, I got the train down to London and went on a gay pride march, <laughs> as you do. And, of course, uh, the other thing there as well, uh, Martin, is that, you know, not long after that was the uh, the whole AIDS epidemic. Yeah, which, absolutely. Which probably, you know, I mean, you probably timed that right or not right, depending on your perspective, I suppose, because, um, you know, I'm a couple of years behind you and mm. you know my my timing of that was uh you know it just wasn't wasn't okay to talk about it the AIDS epidemic was out you know you got your curiosities and uncertainties mm. and the next thing was wow you can't even look at someone or touch them without fear of getting this awful yeah ab you know, absolutely yeah absolutely um I mean there were there were terrible times there were dark times I mm. lost a few friends mm. um you know thankfully um, you know, things have changed now with medications, with treatments, with PrEP to prevent you getting it in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, with treatments that um, enable people to live a normal lifespan now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they were very, very dark days indeed. Yeah. I can remember being sort of 20, 21, um, going into Manchester, into gay bars, um, you know, and you could walk out of there at night time and there'd be people in the street throwing stones at you, shouting, AIDS, die, this, that, and the other. You know, terrible, terrible dark times. Yeah. 
Now, and of course, the, the, the press didn't help back in those days either. Oh, no, absolutely not. No, absolutely not. And I mean, I, I live in, I, I lived in, um, <laughs> you know, obviously I loved my mum and my dad to, to bits, really. I mean, we, we had our moments where we didn't get on, but I, I lived in what I, what I now class as a sort of constant carry on film. Uh, you know, very, very working class, very sort of 740 mm. kind of humour and attitudes, very tabloid news, one particular tabloid newspaper that used to have naked women on the first page, you know, which mm. we're talking about. Um, and, you know, their, their sort of attitudes and beliefs were, were shaped by all of that. Well, absolutely. I mean, I can still remember the jokes of the time. Somebody saying, oh, you know what gay stands for? Got age yet? That kind of thing. I mean, yeah, yeah. that kind of thing sticks with you. It stays with you. Yeah. Yeah, no, it does. You're right. You're absolutely right. Well, yeah, no, indeed. So do you, <clears throat> excuse me, do you now deal with a lot of clients who come to you that are struggling with accepting their sexuality? Uh, not so much people struggling with accepting their sexuality these days as in the younger generation, because times have very much changed. Yeah. It's more people 30 plus who are suffering with one kind of, you know, mental health issue or another. And as I say, it, a common thing with everything they present with is um, those automatic negative thoughts, those, um, you know, negatively introspecting about things that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, that that kind of thing, and it, it, it ste- a lot of it stems from the bullying, from the marginalisation, from the feeling they were the only one at the time. Things were yeah. very, very different, as you'll appreciate. Yeah. No. Well, um, I mean, I, I, yeah. No. I, no. You know, I remember back to you know the situation for me because it's now well fairly publicised that you know I, I was curious about sexuality mm. from fourteen, fifteen. I think you said you listened to my podcast the other week. Um, and I remember now the reason I never came out as such then was because my, my mum in particular, you know, I either would have been beaten up or like you dragged to the doctors for some sort of fix Mm. Mm. or actually worse than that. She'd have been so proud to have the only gay or bisexual son in the town of a fully working class town that she'd have spread it everywhere. Yeah. And that would, that would have been yeah, worse. <laughs> yeah, I, I found that in later life, um, sort of when I'd got into my 30s or this, that and the other, by that time, my mum had accepted it fully. Mm. But then, of course, she suddenly thought she was an authority on the subjects. And yeah, she'd be shouting it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, funny. Yeah, and my dad came around in the end as well, which was nice. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> know, yeah, indeed. Now, obviously, um, I've mentioned that you've done this um, this pride flag in a in a car kind of bonnet badge mm. type emblem, and obviously, Menable Matters is aimed at a uh, an automotive audience. And for Pride Month, we want to be getting the, the message out there. Um, tell us what, what you know. What's your experience of this issue of acceptance around sexuality, in particular, uh, in very masculine environments? because that's where, that's where the two things come together for me. Okay, yeah, well, uh, as you've said in some of your other podcasts, the kind of people that the industry um, attracts, uh, you know, it's perhaps often alpha males, this, that, and the other. I'm talking more perhaps on the sales side here. Um, and then, of course, we, 
if you go to the recruitment process, we, you know, are we hiring like kinds? Are we looking for people that are like kinds or were we? Um, because as the saying goes, if you keep on doing what you've always done, you'll keep on getting what you've always got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so if when we're recruiting, we are looking for people like us, then we're just bringing more into the fold. And again, if you look at training, um, one thing and another, and again, I know you've got a bit of a background in NLP as well. If you look at modeling, if you know younger people are encouraged to ape their seniors within the trade, nothing's going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the whole the whole thing of a salesy background, it's all very team oriented, team spirited. Um, and again, it, it's very easy for someone to feel not included. Um, and I think, I mean, it, it's very cutthroat in, in a sales background when you have your monthly meetings and, um, you know, how things are going to be. That kind of atmosphere, that kind of macho atmosphere, very team, you know, very like the football team who was picked last for the team at school, that kind of thing. We've, we, you know, we've got comparable scenarios there. Um, and I think, um, as I say, it's, it's to do with, um that thing of everything carrying on becoming institutional basically yeah yeah yeah. no you're absolutely right i mean that's and that's the environment i've grown up in is is very Mm. masculine environments and you know the use of banter previously was you know fairly well sort of accepted and you know if you were anything slightly outside of the norm Mm. um you know it was quite often something that you would keep to yourself because you know for fear of of how that was going to be how that was going to be treated now interestingly you mentioned there about this recruiting in your own likeness um one of the the car industry's sort of leading thought leaders guy called jim saker Mm. uh professor jim saker he he's uh uses this word to describe that which is homophily Mm -hmm. And I can't help thinking that there's an irony in that that word begins with the word homo. Homo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Which um, <laughs> I'm sure somebody who's uh, far more adept at, at language will, will say, well, yeah, homo has got some, has male meaning, doesn't it? I think if, I don't know, top of my head, but. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the male thing, isn't it? Homo sapien, homo, whatever. Exactly. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I get lost in all these tags and titles these days. You've got certain parts of the community who don't like the word homosexual, doesn't bother me in the least. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, oh dear, you can, I can go on about this one for hours. You can go on about, let's talk about flags and banners with you being Pride Month. They're using white flags now for an all-inclusive thing, or they've changed the colours on the rainbow over recent years. I can remember... I'm really going back in time now, maybe 30 plus years ago in Manchester, a business I was involved in at the time, we're trying to set up a gay business organization in Manchester. And the first meeting, the first two hours of it was completely discussing whether it should be the Gay and Lesbian Business Association, the Lesbian and Gay Business Association, (laughs) the Gay Business Association the Pink Triangle Business Association, and on wow. it went. And, to, you know, to, to this day, these things are still widely, widely discussed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think more and more people are, rather than labelling themselves one thing, they're just coming under the, you know, identifying under the pride flag, under the rainbow flag. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Do you know what that that leads me on to to thinking that um, you know we we're talking a lot lately about diversity and mm. equality and you know inclusivity and gender balance and you know sexual sexuality acceptance and 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 I just think the only time for me the only time that we'll ever get to a place where we have properly achieved that is when we stop bloody talking about it. Absolutely. You know what? We just accept people for who they are, that they don't need a badge or a flag or a label or a, you know, a title or a pronoun or mm. you know what I mean. It's, I mean, as I say, inclusivity means everyone. Yeah. Um, and I mean, let's talk about the recent uh, self outing of Jake Daniels, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice if it wasn't news? Wouldn't it be nice Absolutely. if it wasn't an issue? Yeah. Um, but again, going, I mean, I'm, I'm sounding like a real old fogey on here, but going back to my day when I was 15 and I was really struggling to accept what I was, what positive role models did I have? Mm. I mean, I, I can remember kept getting called a puff at school and this, that, and the other. What did I have to look at on television? Larry Grayson, John Inman. <laughs> um, you know, and it was like, well, I, I don't think I'm like that, but I know I'm gay. Um, whereas now, how many young men? will suddenly not feel alone, not feel like the only one because of what Jake Daniels has done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I've got yeah. to say, you know, I've watched over the... I didn't... I don't watch it because I'm I'm not a football fan, but I, I saw some of the footage of, you know, various sort of football games and, and finals and this, that and the other going on. And, and I just think, yeah, there's a lot of um, homophobia in that area. Mm. And so, okay, let's put 30,000 men all in the one place together and they're all cuddling and holding holding each other and you know walking down sounds the street fun. arm in arm <laughs> sorry sounds fun yeah <laughs> and i just thought mm, interesting isn't it there's an irony there isn't there that... mm. yeah there is um but again football you know the, the first footballer to come out of course was um just in fashion out and mm -hmm. we all know what yes. happened with him yeah, yeah. Um, he was not supported from the game. He wasn't supported by his family, which tends to get overlooked these days. Mm. Um, but then go to think back 25, maybe years. I may have got the timing wrong, wrong on that. But uh, look at Watford FC, Elton John buying into it. Mm -hmm. And of course, the, the entire crowd would be cheering, don't bend down when Elton's around. Uh, wow. You know, it, it's, you know, things have changed. And as I say, I think with Jake Daniels, yes, it was incredibly brave. There's a lot of people out there saying, no, it wasn't brave. Yes, it was because he's at the start of his career and he's took mm -hmm. one hell of a gamble. Um, you know, a few people have come out at the end of the careers where they stand to lose very little. And that's fine. That's their, you know, that's their setup. That's fine. I'm not judging. Um, but they haven't done anything to help young aspiring people by giving it at that age. Absolutely. Um, when they When they don't have very much to lose. Whereas Jake Daniels, has, he's really put himself up there. Um, and I absolutely take my hat off to him. I absolutely do. I, I found, actually, that um, I've now started saying that it, people say to me, oh, it's brave of you to share your story and to, mm. you know, talking about this in the way that you do. And I go, no, it's not. I don't think it's brave of me. I think it's brave of the people around me to accept and not judge and, you know, just continue to support me on the basis of well you're still the same person yeah um, I, I would gently disagree with you there Stephen. i think you're an incredibly brave i've listened to your podcasts and um, that is real from the heart stuff 
Uh, you you know you really go deep into it there. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely, you know when you when you talk about um, wanting to end it all and this that, and the other, and very nearly did. Um, I I think you well you bared your soul really bared your soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I think you know whether it's people in your industry um, or people from other backgrounds, someone somewhere along the line will benefit from what you've said there. Absolutely. Oh, thank you. No, 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 really no absolutely. I, that's why I'm, I'm so grateful that you've, you know, you've come onto the podcast and we can talk openly about this stuff. Cause I think that, you know, there is another movement about um, driving uh, sort of uh, sexuality awareness and stuff uh, and pride through the automotive industry. And, um, you know, we're still again, another area where a long, long way away from that. And, um, you know, my, well, thank you for being so kind and saying about my bravery, but that came really from me being at a point where, like you said, you know, I'm towards the back end of my career. I've got nothing left to lose. I screwed up the life that I had, you know, I've got people who now blame me for making their lives, you know, uh, destroyed. And, uh, you know, it's not quite how I view it, but, um, well, again, I, I would, point I would I gen- left nothing Sorry. left. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, again, if I may, I would gently disagree with that because I've seen the, um, you know, great strides you've already made with Men Able and you seem to have been welcomed back into the industry with open arms. Well, do you know, that's funny you say that because uh, ironically, yeah, I mean, this is the point is that for years, and this would be my message to anyone, um, <clears throat> you know, equivalent to a Jake Daniels in the, in the industry, is you know don't do what i did and and keep it to yourself for years you know be accept who you are be who you are um be open about it with people don't go into detail because it's not their business um but you know just be open about who you are and, and what you think and actually you'll be surprised that people will be accepting um, mm. and as, I- as as my now ex-wife says you know that you know she said well the only person that didn't doesn't accept you is you and and you know she was spot on she was absolutely right uh and i've i've, I've told her that before and she, you know that's isn't that a shame to wait till you're in your 50s before you can be like that yeah it's, yeah it's, it's strange how things are perceived as well steve because as i say i came out when i was 15 mm. and always felt i had you know, pretty much accepted myself. I got on with things. I created my own little bubble in which I lived. Um, I've been with the same partner 26 years. And yet it's only um, when I started really self-examining um, after the incidents at the shop, after the robberies, um, you know, started really exploring hypnotherapy and psychotherapy. But I realized deep, deep down, I hadn't truly accepted myself. And I used to have a lot of weight issues. Uh, excuse me. I used to have a lot of weight issues. I was 21 stone, uh, whereas now I'm 12. And food was always my go-to thing. Um, even from being little, when I'd been beaten up at school once more or something, I'd cheer myself up with a bag of sweets, a bag of chips, whatever. Um, and I think at various points through being an adult, I did the same thing. Mm. Um, yes, I'd jump on fad diets or this, that, and the other, but the default position, the one I always went back to was overeating and using food as an emotional crutch. And I think when, you know, when I started, uh, to do my studying, um, 
I really, truly dealt with the self-acceptance and the weight issues disappeared, absolutely yeah. disappeared. Yeah, yeah. Now, you, you were telling me beforehand, actually, that your transition into uh, becoming a hypnotherapist was as a result of a couple of fairly traumatic examples of where you were before. You were a jeweller. and Oh, well, yeah, I was a spell jeweller. Yeah, and your shop got robbed or attempted? Uh, twice, once at the end of 2014, Mm. Um, which was featured on Crime Watch in 2015, my claim wow. to fame. And then again in 2016. And the one in 2016 was a particularly nasty incident. And it just totally turned me against wanting to have the shop anymore. Mm. Um, the Saturday afternoon following what happened, I just put the key in the door, locked it. And I said to my other half, I'm not going back. Mm. And that was it. Um, obviously we have to go back and sort things out. Um, but I didn't open again and I've never looked back. Yeah. I've never looked back. I mean, I took a huge financial hit. Uh, we were in the process of buying the property. Um, and it, it messed things up for a little while, but I've always been, I mean, I've always been very self-driven, very self-motivated. I've worked for myself since I was 23. Um, so I was able to dust myself down and then I started to, as I say, look around, I was studying, um, hypnotherapy and I, I felt a lot better in myself and it gave me a clear direction in which to go. Um, but I, I would say, you know, even for somebody who to the sort of public perception, um, has always been really, really out and quite proud in this, that, and the other. In terms of self-acceptance, no, I would say probably only the last six years, truly self-acceptance. Yeah. Up, up until that point, if somebody had said to me, if you could press a button and be straight, would you? I would probably have said yes most of the time. Yeah. Whereas now, no, I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy. I, you know, I look at myself and I think, you're okay. Help me out there, Martin, because I, I, you said that before we started recording, and I, and I get that because I'm, I'm exactly the same. You know, where, where does that come from? That, you know, if you a few years ago, if you could have pressed a button and been straight, you know, I, I, again, is it tribal instincts wanting to conform, wanting to fit in, <clears throat> wanting greater acceptance from the majority, or maybe it's just the easy opt out, thinking you know life would be easier if I was straight. Yeah. Wow. Uh, but I always, I've always known I'm not, I, I wouldn't go down that path because I wouldn't kid myself. Um, yeah. I, I know truly, absolutely deep down what I am. I'm not bisexual. I'm gay. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to throw something else in the mix now. Go on. And that is that uh, I read a lot about this sort of stuff, of course, mm. as part of the, the journey of acceptance. And I've come across some information, some articles that, that actually started with, um, you talk about tribes. Mm. There's um, a tribe, I guess you call them, of indigenous people in some of the Pacific Islands. Mm. They actually have a third gender. The Fafa females. That's f yeah. And they are these are uh, children that are born male, mm. but they show much more feminine traits as they get older. And actually what they do is they um they encourage this because what they've naturally realized is that this is this is humanity's way of controlling the population that that's uh I've, I've seen a documentary a few years ago and i'm sorry for interrupting you there with the uh, fafa females but i i remember seeing a documentary a few years ago and i found that fascinating i know 
Um, and again, that, that gets you onto a, a whole different discussion in terms of is it a way of controlling the population? You get the um, thing, again, talking about mental health issues and gay men, um, you can find lots and lots of statistics out there um, about gay men and mental health issues. They suffer far more with them than the general population. As I say, there's lots of evidence out there. I can't quote any off the top of my head. Um, the most recent one being the government LGBT survey in 2018, or it was published in 2018. Um, and again, another point for discussion, which is perhaps the opposite end of the acceptance there in the Pacific Islands. Most gay men will, well, most gay men I've spoken to will admit to having some kind of self-destruct button and when they explore further, um, again, the common thing I seem to get back from them is, um, well, they serve no biological purpose, i.e. they're not going to reproduce. Yeah, I, I, well, I mean, it, you're right. I, I, I feel a, a Martin Ferber podcast part two coming on. <laughs> <laughs> where we talk about this a bit more because it was only something I stumbled across and I thought, wow. Uh, yeah i mean no one knows do they no one you know but that that could and then someone else said to me well you do realize that even ducks are bisexual yeah uh, because apparently it may have but was that you that it was me that? yeah you see yeah. a lot of gay ducks a lot yeah. of gay ducks that <laughs> go down to the pond in mating season and you'll see a lot of pairs of males together wow that's fascinating yeah that's fascinating uh, another it, it, friend of mine said that uh, even dolphins uh, have homosexual tendencies. Thought, it's well, that, everywhere in the well, animal kingdom. Partic yeah. partic I particularly notice it with ducks because we have a duck pond down the road from us, and I go down there <laughs> and feed them. An observer of of, of ducks, duck mm. pride. <laughs> That's brilliant. <clears throat> well, I mean, anyone who of our age who remembers uh, Flipper will know that there couldn't have been a more camp program than that. <laughs> It's uh, that probably bears some some resemblance, I guess. I, I, I don't know. I think I think the campiest program of all time, if you think about it, is Mr. Ben. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> he yeah, used to come we... out of his closet in a different outfit every he, week. He, he, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he was definitely under a very very varied rainbow, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So did I... you notice that every week it was always either an American Indian or an American motorcycle cop? Oh, hello. We nearly got the whole village people. There. I was just going to say, I think the village people <laughs> took inspiration from that. And of course, anybody listening to this under 40 won't have a clue what no, we're talking got, about. We just lost the audience completely. If you're under, <laughs> yeah. Under, yeah. Under, Look it up on YouTube. You'll love 50. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Oh, brilliant. All right. So, Martin, any final hints or tips then? on this whole area of acceptance and, uh, and thank you so much for your honesty and openness and actually, you know, encouraging me as well to, to be so relaxed. It's, it's, a, it's amazing how I just, I've clearly been myself on this podcast. I've felt so relaxed. It's great. Well, absolutely. I've, I've, I felt I owed it to you at least to open my soul up after I've heard your podcasts. Um, you know, it's, it's the least I could do um final thoughts yeah just okay it's not my quote it's michael yapko anything you concentrate on you will amplify so if you're having a bad day stop thinking about the bad thing that's happened mm -hmm. try and think about something positive um 
you know, when, when you talk about hypnotherapy, Steve, and people tend to think, oh, woo-woo, this and the other. Anybody who knows me will know I'm probably the least sort of woo-woo kind of person you could ever wish to meet. Yeah. Um, I'm very much a sort of evidence-based kind of person. Yes, I, I would describe myself as a critical thinker, um, but it works, and it works well. Um, and as I say, it's quite simple. Anything you concentrate on, you will amplify. So try and direct your thoughts away from the bad thing that's troubling you onto something positive. Look forward, look ahead, concentrate on something that you're looking forward to, and you know it will alter your mindset and snap you out of that mood, hopefully. And how does that work with anxiety i don't tend to suffer so much with anxiety mine's more sort of overthinking which i suppose is well yeah anxiety is caused by negative thinking right um you know negatively introspecting about the past Mm. um even about the future yeah thinking about something ahead that's happening okay here's a little point for you Stephen. your mind cannot tell the difference between imagination and reality Mm -hmm. Okay, if you want me to elaborate further on that, um, just picture this. You sat at home watching a horror film. The doors are locked, curtains are drawn. You know you're perfectly safe in your own home. And yet when that monster comes on the television, you'll still jump out of your bloody seat. (laughs) Because your mind cannot tell the difference between imagination and reality. Now, okay, say you had a sales meeting next week to go to. So you're still back in your old job. You've got a sales meeting to go to. Um, If you're on red alert, you'll start to think about it in the worst possible terms in every Mm. scenario. Mm. Um, The meeting will go okay. They usually do. You know that in your logical mind. But you've been on red alert with the primitive mind. You know, you hear it referred to as fight, flight, brain. Mm. So in your mind, you've been to 51 meetings and 50 of them have been a complete disaster. And that adds to what we refer to as the metaphorical stress bucket. Um, You know, we all have that in our heads and we can keep adding to it, adding to it, adding to it. And eventually it'll overflow. Mm, mm. Um, And again, we're talking in metaphors, but getting back to sort of early years, bullying, marginalization, that kind of thing. It's usually there at the bottom of the bucket. You need to clear that out and move ahead. Yeah, and we we see or hear a lot of comments at times from people who are that anxious that they'll say things like, oh, well, it's all right for you, mm. you know, because they're comparing their life with your life. Because um, obviously, I suppose it's easier for them to see what's going on for you with a much clearer lens than what's going on for them if they're overwhelmed. It is, and we all have a different map of the world, as yeah. you'll know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so you know it is impossible to see the world through somebody else's eyes Mm. it's great to be able to empathize though yeah and and again listen understand that's good yeah martin that has been absolutely brilliant i'm so delighted that uh, you agreed to come onto the podcast no thank you for inviting me on i've been looking forward to it no end (laughs) i think we definitely will have a martin further part two absolutely i'm whenever you like whenever you like it'd be my pleasure a hypnotherapy session coming on as well <laughs> that could be arranged <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah so i'll tell you what if anyone wants to uh, get hold of you uh if they sort of anything you've said has resonated and they want to have a chat with you what's what's the best way to reach you um my website is martinferber.com that's spelt f-u-r-b-e-r mm-hmm. they can reach me by phone 01772-200-774 or they can reach out to me on linkedin uh, it's LinkedIn forward slash Martin dash further. 
you know what? I thought you were going to go into that a letter Adams song then all of a sudden when you were, they can reach me five. <laughs> no, no, you don't miss singing, believe me. That's going to be an earworm now and it would be in your ear all day. You won't be able to hear it. <laughs> all right, Martin Ferber, thank you so much for joining me on Men Able Matters. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed that. And uh, yeah, we definitely will do a part two. But for now, thank you very much indeed. And we'll see you soon. Thank you, Stephen. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, You've been listening to Men Able Matters, the podcast brought to you by the Men Able Movement. If you'd like to get involved, join us at menable.org or follow the hashtag menable. Join us again for another podcast where we'll talk to more fantastic guests and get their hints, tips and insights to their personal stories too. See you again soon.